Hello, my name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey. Let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea, a new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast where we talk about hidden history, de-political policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the odd man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. Public policy could itself become the captain of a scientific, technological elite. And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop. What is all this astrology business? Fundamentally, it's the contention that which constellations the planets are in at the moment of your birth profoundly influences your future. A few thousand years ago, the idea developed that the motions of the planets determine the fates of kings, dynasties, empires. Astrologers studied the motions of the planets and asked themselves what had happened last time that, say, Venus was rising in the constellation of the goat. Maybe something similar would happen this time as well. Well, it's no secret what this episode's going to be about. It's going to be about astrology. My intentions with this podcast is to kind of look at it in a different way than many do. Because, let's face it, in the conspiracy circles, the alt-media community, New Age belief systems and the occult are heavily promoted. And many of those belief systems are based around astrology and the tree of life and those things. So... What I want to do is take a look at it from a different point of view because if you look online, there are far more, far more websites that promote astrology than critique it or deconstruct it or attempt to deconstruct it. So I think it's very important to kind of look at the subject, especially when the masses, it seems to be more people than not do believe in it or at least to a degree, and some take that much farther than others, but it seems to be the masses who do agree with it and believe in it. So I wanted to take the old odd man look at it and see what we can find out. Then after the show is over, you make up your own mind. And I know it's a sensitive issue because so many people do put a lot of faith into it, but I've seen 
it used to predict everything from who you're going to date, marry, uh, to where you're going to work, to people making medical decisions for them and their children using astrology. You name it. It's connected with political decisions, with social issues, everything under the sun, moon, stars, and planet. So let's take a look from the other side of the window at astrology. Perhaps ask the question why people believe in it, the origins of it, is there any provable basis for it, and then go from there. These equations describe the universe. Now, if we try to plug in some numbers, like the masses of celestial objects and the distances to them, we find that all the stars we see in the night sky are so incredibly far away that they just can't affect us. Even the nearby planets in our solar system have a very limited effect. The abnormally powerful magnetic field of Jupiter has dramatically less influence on human beings than that of a toaster oven in the next room. The gravity of these faraway objects pulls on us less than the car in your driveway. And not just by a little, by several orders of magnitude. So if either of these forces are proposed to be the mechanism by which astrology operates, then case closed, it's bogus. The math doesn't lie. But that's not the only problem. Even if the magnitude of these forces was significant enough to affect us, as is certainly true of the gravity exerted by the Sun and the Moon, and to a much lesser extent Jupiter and Saturn, due to their size and proximity, how can gravity dictate your personality at birth? How can gravity, the force of attraction between all matter, determine something as subtle as your disposition? In the biology series, we learned about genetics and gene expression. So how can astrology fit with all of that? The answer is simple. It can't. Astrology predates biology. It predates all of modern science by a long shot. And that's the point. Astrology is a collection of things that we thought of in a time when we thought the Earth was the center of the universe. But the retrograde motion of a planet is not a deity turning around in the sky. It's just the visual effect of one planet passing another in their respective orbits. The signs of the zodiac don't actually mean anything. They are just imaginary pictures we made up by playing connect the dots with stars that are strewn about at random. How do we know that horoscopes are just all made up? I'll give you a bunch of reasons. Do a little experiment. The next time you see a horoscope section in a newspaper or something, cover up the signs and just read the descriptions and see if you could figure out which one belongs to which sign. Odds are you'll probably get it right one out of every 12 times. If you read a bunch of horoscopes and a bunch of different newspapers, all for your zodiac sign, Turns out they all say different things. But if horoscopes were real, don't you think they would be a little more on the same page? Don't you think they'd all kind of be talking about roughly the same things? Here's another experiment you could try. If someone you know believes in astrology, tell them you're a different sign than the one you actually are and just watch their reaction. Like, I'm an Aquarius. <gasps> I knew it because you're outgoing and smart. I'm just kidding, I'm actually a Virgo. Oh. It's gonna be awkward for everyone. It'll be great. They're always written very vaguely, so they apply to everybody, you know? Uh, big changes are in store for you. You're under a lot of stress and you need to take a vacation. There's a special surprise in store for you. 
Like, no kidding on all of those things. Maybe if they were written more specifically, I could take them a little more seriously. Like, look in your jacket pocket and you'll find a $20 bill. Whoa, thanks, horoscope. That never happens. Horoscopes are supposedly based on the alignment of the stars and planets on the day you were born. But think about that for a second, because it makes no sense. I mean, first of all, the sun doesn't give a shit about whether or not you're a risk taker. And secondly, don't you think then that everyone born under the same sign on the same day would have the same personality? They don't. Also, if the alignment of the stars and planets matters because they have some sort of gravitational effect on you, here's some news for you. The doctor who delivered you has way more of a gravitational pull on you because that's how science works. Speaking of which, astrology is all about the day that you were born, which is kind of arbitrary, don't you think? I mean, your brain and your genetics and your DNA, those are figured out long before you exit the birth canal. So wouldn't the date of your conception matter a whole lot more than the day you move from inside the womb to outside of it? If the alignment of the planets matters on our zodiac sign, then wouldn't we have gone through a lot of changes over the past several centuries? Because they've discovered new planets since then. And Pluto's not even a planet anymore, so wouldn't that have some effect on it? Our position relative to the constellations that we see changes over time. So whatever the constellations you see on your birthday today are probably different than the one people saw thousands of years ago on your birthday. So wouldn't the signs have to adjust? There's a reason the horoscopes are placed right next to the comic strips in a newspaper. It's all entertainment. I thought I might look into when this became the regular thing, the thing to do to put the astrological signs, the horoscopes, in the newspapers. And I found a few things here that I thought was interesting. The Sunday Express published the world's first newspaper horoscopes and a phenomenon was born. Little did we know at the time, but we had hit upon an essential ingredient of today's popular press, the star sign horoscope. The Sunday Express's current editor, Martin Townsend, observes, Following the 1929 Wall Street crash, the princess's birth gave Britain's popular press the perfect opportunity for a good news story. Being a weekly newspaper, Though the Sunday Express needed a new angle and in a eureka moment, its then-editor, John Gordon, had the inspirational idea of publishing a horoscope for telling the young royal's future. The paper first approached the colorful Caro, the undisputed superstar astrologer of the age, born plain William Warner. He had learned his craft on a trip to India before reinventing himself as Caro. The name derives from the word Caromancy or palmistry. He was to become the most famous astrologer of the era, reading the palms and telling the fortunes of everyone from Oscar Wilde to the Prince of Wales, the future King Edward, and General Kitchener to Prime Minister William Gladstone. However, Caro was unavailable, so the job of drawing up the world's first newspaper horoscope went to one of his assistants, Richard Harold Naylor, or R.H. Naylor, as he preferred to be known. The result was a Sunday Express article headlined, What the Stars Foretell for the New Princess. And that happened on August 24th, 1930. Astrology is a primitive belief system 
made into elaborate pseudoscience. It arrogantly makes humans the focal point of the universe. The movement of planets is supposed to signify petty developments in our career or love life. It was developed in the second century AD by the philosopher Claudius Ptolemy and has not moved on since, despite the discovery of new planets and despite a shift in the Earth's rotational axis that has thrown Ptolemy's zodiac out by 23 degrees. You probably know your sign, or do you? Try this. Wait for your birthday, then stay up all night and watch where the sun rises. It will pass in front of one of the 12 constellations of the zodiac. They say, I'm a Sagittarius. So on my birthday, you might expect the sun to rise in the constellation Sagittarius. And it did, 2,000 years ago, when the Babylonians made all this up. But it doesn't now. In the last 2,000 years, the Earth has wobbled like a top. So now on my birthday, the sun rises in Scorpio, not Sagittarius. So maybe you'd have to be a Capricorn to be a Sagittarius. And Scorpios would have to be Libras. See, astrologers are off one full sign. In 2,000 more years, they'll be off two signs. But they don't seem to care. So one way to perhaps kind of figure out why so many people still believe in astrology and follow the zodiac signs is something called the Barnum effect in psychology or the Forer effect. Now, many of you may have heard of this, but I'm going to go over it anyway. The Barnum effect, also called the Forer effect in psychology, is the phenomenon that occurs when individuals believe that personality descriptions apply specifically to them more so than other people, despite the fact that the description is actually filled with information that applies to everyone. The effect means that people are gullible because they think the information is about them only when in fact the information is generic. The Barnum effect came from the phrase often attributed to P.T. Barnum, that a sucker is born every minute. Of course, P.T. Barnum was the man who had the famous Barnum and Bailey circus and he made quite a lot of money off of that circus. Freaks, geeks, you know, he was kind of the guy, I think, who made that really famous. But things like psychics, horoscopes, magicians, palm readers, and crystal ball gazers make use of the Barnum effect when they convince people that their description of them is highly special and unique and could never apply to anyone else. The Barnum effect has been studied or used in psychology in two ways. One way has been to create a feedback for participants in psychological experiments who read it and believe it was created personally for them. When participants complete an intelligence or personality scale, sometimes the experimenter scores it and gives the participant his or her real score. Other times, however, the experimenter gives participants false and generic feedback to create a false sense e.g. to give the impression they are an exceptionally good person. The reason that the feedback works and is seen as a unique descriptor of an individual person is because the information is, in fact, generic and could apply to anyone. The other way that the Barnum effect has been studied is with computers that give true personality feedback to participants. Personality ratings given by computers have been criticized for being too general and accepted too easily. 
Some researchers have done experiments to see if people view actually true feedback as being any more accurate than bogus feedback. People do see actually true descriptions of themselves as more accurate than bogus feedback, but there is not much of a difference. The Barnum effect works best for statements that are positive. People are much less likely to believe that a statement applies to them when it is a negative statement, such as, I often think of hurting people who do things I don't like. Thus, Barnum Effect reports primarily contain statements with mostly positive items, such as items listed here. And then it's got a list of items. We'll go through quickly because this is something that you would hear in your daily horoscope. You have an intense desire to get people to accept and like you. Sometimes you give too much effort on projects that don't work out. You prefer change and do not like to feel limited in what you can do. You are an independent thinker who takes pride in doing things differently than others. Sometimes you can be loud, outgoing, and a people person, but other times you can be quiet, shy, and reserved. You can be overly harsh on yourself and very critical. And lastly, although you do have some weaknesses, you try very hard to overcome them and be a better person. And on the website neurofide.com, the article is Barnum Effect, the reason why we believe our horoscopes. I scroll down about halfway through the page, and it says Barnum Effect in Astrology, Magic, and Fortune Telling. Horoscopes have been around for at least 2,000 years. Since then, we love reading about the zodiac signs and making interpretations about them. Many of us probably have been to fortune tellers or palm readers or a psychic once in our lifetime. Among others, one of the main reasons behind our acceptance of pseudosciences is, as mentioned, the Barnum effect. Thus, we can say that the writers of horoscopes, descriptions, fortune tellers, and magicians are quite the masters of understanding human psychology and applying the principles of the Barnum effect in their interpretations. An important concept to mention in this sense is the practice of cold reading. Cold reading implies that the practitioners of pseudosciences know much more about their subject than the subjects know about themselves. This practice is cold reading because the practitioners base their guesses without any acquisition of prior knowledge about their subject. An example of this cold reading would be, You have a great deal of energy when handling problems that you face in your life. However, you are not yet aware of your capacity. I recommend to you to give some time to discover this side of yourself, and you will see what I mean. As you can tell, what I just said was very general and applicable to many situations for a whole lot of people. Also, cold readers are very good readers of their subject's body language and gestures. Now, we all have seen probably the body language readers on Fox News. They know how to collect a great deal of information about one's life and experiences in a sneaky way. Then they construct their guesses safely and use personalization so that the subjects take them seriously and cherry-pick the predictions which can actually occur in the future. This is how such practices work and use the Barnum effects 
working principles. Since living in caves, humans have come to believe in astrology. We all seek some kind of order or sense for the random events that happen in our lives. Since the beginning of time, we have been scared of the future and have felt vulnerable to the chaotic disorder of everyday life. We need to travel back 4,000 years to look at the first organized system of astrology that arose during the Babylonian age during the second millennium. The Babylonians were the first to describe the 12 zodiac signs. The Egyptians refined this system before the Greeks took a hold of it and shaped it into its modern form. During Alexander the Great's conquest of Asia, the Greeks were introduced to the cryptic cosmological systems of Syria, Babylon, and Persia and made them their own. In the modern world, astrology is just as popular with almost all magazines and newspapers having astrological sections. Thousands of websites are devoted to telling our fortunes, and according to a study, 58% of Americans between the ages of 18 and 24 believe astrology is scientific. In fact, the same study suggested that skepticism of astrology is on the decrease. Why is this? Well, astrology may excuse us for our less positive traits or actions. We can blame being late for a meeting on the full moon in Aquarius, or justify splitting with an unsuitable romantic partner because our star signs unfortunately clashed. Horoscopes are convenient everyday distractions that make us feel good about the world around us. The Mayan religion blended several aspects of nature, astronomy, and rituals. They developed calendars around the stars and the planets, and built astronomical buildings where they practiced human sacrifice rituals. They used a number of methods including heart extraction, shooting with arrows, and the placing of the sacrifice live body into a ball for a ritual reenactment of the Mesoamerican ball game, followed swiftly by mandatory disembowelment. Nope, you won't see that in your Marie Claire horoscope. Statistics show that over 90% of Americans know their star sign and as many as 50% read their horoscopes, but it is not really clear how many actually believe what they read. Perhaps horoscopes are consumed more as entertainment nowadays, with a group of hardcore fixed believers in the minority. So just a little bit more information here that I thought may be worth adding to this show. I read by Don Jade, the African Zodiac, 13 signs of the Zodiac. He says, the original calendar had 13 months of the Zodiac, and Ethiopia is the only country still using the original calendar of 13 months. The Roman Catholic Church changed all that to 12 with the introduction of the Gregorian calendar the fake calendar that we use today. In another article, it says the Celts correlated the date of birth to one of 13 types of trees. They used 13 rather than 12 since they subscribed to a lunar calendar system and therefore followed the 13 phases of the moon. The Chinese zodiac is based on the year you were born and uses the 12 animal signs, the rat, ox, tiger, rabbit, dragon, snake, horse, goat, monkey, rooster, dog, and pig. But it doesn't stop there. They rotate between yin and yang and have five elements, earth, metal, water, wood, and fire. These combinations can be more detailed, such that a person can be in a yin water rabbit, yang metal rabbit, a yin fire rabbit, etc. The entire Chinese zodiac cycle takes 60 years to complete. The Egyptians, their astrology is comprised of 12 constellations that form 36 decans, or star groups. Each decan has its own ruling planet and lasts for 10 days. 
Each sign is based on gods and goddesses from ancient Egyptian myths, such as Amun-Ra, Anubis, Horus, Osiris, among others. There's also the American astrology, Indian astrology, Hindu astrology. There's at least 14 different types of horoscopes around the world. I think Michael One mentioned this on the episode when he came on the Oddcast, and one of the samples I played also mentioned this, but I'll just reiterate that because of the procession of the equinoxes, the equinox and solstice points have each moved westward about 30 degrees in the last 2,000 years. Thus, the zodiacal constellations named in ancient times no longer correspond to the segments on the zodiac, represented by their signs. In short, had you been born at the same time on the same day of the year 2,000 years ago, you would have been born under a different sign. If the positions of celestial objects are indeed relevant, we should be able to do some experiments and collect some evidence that demonstrates this relevance. Well, as it happens, a wide variety of experiments have been done. Some experiments have asked professional astrologers to match people to their respective natal charts based on their psychological profiles. They never succeed in a statistically significant way beyond what random chance would allow. If astrology was true, wouldn't people who study it be able to apply its tenets as consistently as scientists apply science? Well, perhaps they are bad astrologers, one might say. They don't know what they're doing, so that doesn't prove anything. Very well, then what if we gather huge amounts of data on certain sets of people? Some studies have taken hundreds of people, all born within a couple minutes of each other, that are now adults, and examined a huge variety of their characteristics. Disposition, income, profession, relationship status, and dozens more. The planets were in the same positions for the births of all of these people, so there should be some kind of similarity between them. Something, anything. And yet, no trends can be found whatsoever for any of these traits and circumstances. They are no more alike than any random assortment of people of similar age. What is astrology and how does it supposedly work? If you haven't been living under a rock for your whole life, you're probably aware of the Daily Horoscope section in your local daily newspaper. Here you'll find a list of daily predictions for the 12 zodiac signs or sun signs. There is a subtle difference, but the two are often used interchangeably. These predictions claim to broadly predict what your day would look like and may also contain some suggestions on the activities you should embrace and or avoid. So far, I have lived on three different continents, and as far as I can remember, this section has been the daily staple of pretty much every single newspaper. Some people do not leave work without preparing themselves for the day according to their horoscope, while others just read it for fun and are marveled at its accuracy. The problem, though, is that it is completely bogus. Astrology has no rational basis and is not backed by any kind of evidence or testable theory. It is the prime example of pseudoscience, which has successfully seeped into popular culture. Don't believe me? Ask someone their zodiac sign. Without dwelling too much into statistics, they will most likely know the answer. Ask them what it means to belong to that sign, and either they will have absolutely no idea 
or they will tell you something about their ruling planet, which doesn't really mean anything either, but makes people feel smart. But I think I am being too harsh on the horoscope and zodiac signs because they are largely harmless, and astrology is about much more than just that. I will spare you the boring details about the origins and history of astrology because you can find those details anywhere. Briefly, the sky is divided into 12 regions, and each region is represented by the zodiac names. Essentially, astrology is rooted in the principle that celestial bodies, such as planets and the moon, can exercise influence in various spheres of human activities. The question is, how? According to astrological explanations, the sky is divided into 12 regions, and each region is represented by a zodiac and the position of the sun, and sometimes other celestial bodies. Astrology has many flavors. In one of these regions, depending on the time and the place of an individual's birth, it decides his or her sign, which in turn is a predictor of the various personal and professional aspects of the individual's life. It is actually not the craziest idea in the world. Maybe that's why so many people still believe in it. The reason I say this may not be an outright crazy idea is because one of the arguments made in the fundamental text of astrology, the Tetrabiblios, by Ptolemy, is that since the planetary bodies can affect physical changes on Earth and the life of its inhabitants, tides, temperature, seasons, etc., therefore the method of prediction is valid. Historically speaking, to someone in the 2nd century A.D., this is a fairly good explanation, given that astronomy was just starting to develop as a field of research, and astrology and astronomy were quite interchangeable, and many people continue to do so. This is where the pseudoscience aspect comes in. Let's dissect it further. A theory may be called scientific if it is verifiable and falsifiable. Astrology is neither. One may be tempted to blame its mystical origins to categorize it as a pseudoscience, but the origin is irrelevant. The fact is that astrological predictions are not testable. They are usually general enough to fit a variety of expectations. Paul Thagard wrote an excellent piece in 1978 thoroughly describing why astrology is a pseudoscience. Further, in one of the more frequently cited studies conducted in 1985, Sean Carlson convincingly showed that the astrological evidence did not pass double-blind test, the hallmark of scientific method, and therefore it is not scientifically valid. There are billions and, and billions of celestial objects. If they're all filled with this magic fairy dust that can predict and determine human lives, why do we only decide these, these 13? What's even more crazy is that when astrology was made up 2,000 years ago, we only really tracked five planets. So from its conception 2,000 years ago until now, we've added eight more. What's even more nuts is that we've discovered billions and billions of planets, and yet still, these 13 that we write about weekly in the newspaper are the only ones that control people. What differentiates the planets from the other ones? Were they sprinkled with magic pixie dust? Is that why they can control your life? Why doesn't, why doesn't Betelgeuse? Or why doesn't one of the numerous exoplanets? Or why doesn't MF-497? Uh, why don't those all 
control your life? And the answer is, is because it's fake. It's prefabricated. Those are the ones that are convenient. They're the ones that we can see. And so as a result, those are the ones that will determine your life. Noted astronomer Andrew Fragnoy published an article, and it's got a link to all these guys, in 2010, in which he posed 10 embarrassing questions, or in other more polite words, 10 obvious holes in the theory of astrology. My personal favorite, why is the time and place of birth more important than the time and place of conception? Despite repeated attempts, I could not find peer-reviewed journals which published astrological research. I do think that we use the terms such as research or expertise rather liberally. But for the purpose of this article, let us continue as such. After scouring through some astrology blogs and forums, I got the sense that the journal, Correlation, published by the Astrological Association, or AA, is supposedly a respectable source of astrology research and is touted as a peer-reviewed journal. Nowhere on the website of Correlation does it say that it is a peer-reviewed journal. Furthermore, the website itself does not appear to have been maintained professionally. Sections labeled Research, Book Reviews, and Database Reviews are simply empty and contain no information, and there is no under-maintenance notice either. Similarly, another journal by AA called Culture and Cosmos lists an issue from 2013 as its current issue. So either there is not enough work done by the researchers in this field, or the publisher's marketing skills are subpar. I tend to side with the former. Astrology cannot be tested, and astrologers do not want it tested. Therefore, the question of peer review is moot. Ultimately, most of the astrological research is published on various blogs or astrology websites. International Astrologer is one journal which is rather professionally maintained. However, it took me a while to find its contents because there appears to be no direct link on the website. A search of the citation record of this journal on Google Scholar, where even most obscure journals are often indexed, brought up only one article about how the aforementioned Sean Carlson's double-blind experiment actually supports astrology. This article has been cited twice. One is the author's self-citation, while the other is a dissertation from an institute being sued for misrepresentation. So it appears that the academic community in general does not care much about this research. And astrologers often even break things down to the hour that you were born. What's so special about the moment that you were born? Your biology had already been developing in your mother's womb for months. None of this survives even the most basic scrutiny. Consider there being two twins born at the same time in the same place. Same planets are in the same places when they're born. The sun is in the same place. Think about how likely it is that they will lead entirely different lives, have entirely different relationships with other people, have different challenges, different goals, one might even die young while the other lives on. Astrology wouldn't have known. In 1958, British scientists registered 2,000 babies born in early March. Their development was monitored. 110 relevant variables were measured at ages 11, 16, and 23, including relationship status, IQ test scores, teacher and parent ratings of behavior, height, weight, vision, hearing, self ratings of ability with art, music, and sports. And the study found no evidence that these people had any characteristics in common that could be statistically correlated. And why would they? According to a 2013 Harris poll, 29% of Americans say they believe in astrology, 
and data from the National Science Foundation suggests that the number is increasing. Ronald Reagan's chief of staff has said that Nancy Reagan cleared some decisions with her personal astrologer. Astrology can be fun, it can be entertaining if that's how we use it, but it's not based in reality, and it's not a good mechanism for making important decisions. It can give us an overly fatalistic outlook on life when we assume that our destinies are predetermined by the time of year we were born. It can also give us false hope or an inflated sense of self or a false sense of doom and we shouldn't ignore that it's a multi-million dollar industry. Astrological readings are a massive waste of money. Is it really that bad, he asks. I'm often accused of being a fuddy-duddy because horoscopes are harmless and people read them for fun. And I tend to spoil the fun by ranting against astrology. While I agree that horoscopes are harmless, I don't think they are actually. And I think that we've talked about how people really... They make a lot of important decisions on astrology, and they think that important events and political and social issues happen because of astrology. So I think that in the long run, they can be a lot of fun for certain people, but they also can be dangerous. But he goes on. Astrologers often prey on innocent people who are in a vulnerable state of mind due to personal or professional reasons. Clearly, not all astrologers are bad people, but when you are selling an invisible product, you can change it as you wish to make the maximum profit. Financial scams by astrologers are nothing new. Recently, a countrywide alert in Canada was issued warning people of fraudulent astrologers. In another recent story, and he's got the links to these, which made national news, a man paid 700 k to a Manhattan-based psychic who promised to reunite him with his ex-girlfriend, even after discovering that she was dead. I grew up in India, where many people lived by the local flavor of astrology. There are people who do not travel without consulting their astrologer. Then there are those who do not buy a car or even get married or plan a family unless the moment is auspicious. A lot of people do all of the above, be it unpleasant life events or medical epidemics. It is very common in India to blame it on the planets. Astrologers are more common in India than most people might think, and pretty much each one of them claims to be world famous. And yet not one of them has ever been able to predict a natural disaster or a terrorist attack. As Jayant Narlikar has noted, compared to the West, astrology faces very little resistance and criticism in India, primarily because, in some sense, it is almost a way of life. High rates of poverty and illiteracy contribute to the lack of critical thinking. People often pay exorbitant sums of money to astrologers, even when they cannot afford it, to conduct rituals which will fix the problem caused by funky alignment of the planets. Why the alignment of asteroids or the objects in the Kuiper Belt doesn't affect people, I'll never know. Swindling fraud aside, astrology has also crept into health and medicine. There is actually something known as medical astrology. It is a bit hard to gauge success of the field and obtain data on the benefits of the medical astrology because no mainstream peer-reviewed published journals exist. Needless to say, this can be potentially very dangerous because people who are sick should seek medical attention and not waste their time and money on unqualified frauds. 
In India, for example, it is almost impossible to be out and not see advertisements from the local astrologers promising to cure pretty much any and every ailment you may have with a weirdly special focus on sexual problems. Advertisements such as this are very common there. In the West, medical astrology is presented in a more sophisticated manner, but it is equally ineffective. Pat Harris is a fertility astrologer and the editor of the aforementioned and poorly managed Correlation Journal, and apparently the only member of the editorial board. She claims her research has shown that astrology can help women manage psychological stress and pain during fertility treatments. Infertility does take significant psychological tolls on couples, especially women, and it is a real problem which deserves real solutions and legitimate research is being done to address it. In spite of Mrs. Harris's claims, astrology is not part of that research. A 2008 article she published in the SRME Journal, and it says in parentheses, the website of this journal does not load, clearly states, It is important to note that only one study has been done to correlate astrology with fertility, so it is not possible yet to confirm a true level of significance. Now, I remember years ago, I worked for the company Ripley's, Ripley's Entertainment, and they have the Ripley's Museums, you know, Robert Ripley, and he was kind of like a guy who collected all this weird memorabilia. And it's kind of a neat thing to go in those places. It depends on how much you like those kind of things. And we had these fertility statues, these big wooden fertility statues, and I forget now where they came from. I want to say somewhere in Africa. But they were pretty old, and they stood probably four and a half, five feet tall, pretty big. People would flock to that museum once we got those in, usually couples. And they would call. We would get calls from out of state. Do you guys still have the fertility statues? Those kinds of things. And it amazed me that people actually believed in these things. And we got to, we would make prank calls to the other locations because the area that I worked at, they had several different Ripley's entertainment venues. You had like the uh, Haunted Adventure, which is the main place I worked at. Then you had the museum, you had the aquarium, you had this 3D motion thing, motion ride. But we would make prank calls to the museum pretending to be interested in the fertility statues. And we would have such fun with that because we would say some of the craziest things. And it was always when it was someone working there that we didn't know very well. And they would not know how to answer most of our questions, and it was just the best fun ever. But anyway, people really put a lot of thought and emotions into these kinds of things and have done this for hundreds, thousands of years. So it's, it's amazing. And I wanted to include this article in this. I know this is going to be a controversial article. I'm going to have a lot of people mad at me probably just for doing a show that kind of shows astrology in a bad light because people love it, especially in the alt media community and the conspiracy community. And so I just wanted to do that because I think it's bullshit. And so I, I think you have the right to believe in it and, and do whatever you want with it. But I wanted to show another side because really there's not too many people showing other sides to this. Far more, far more information is pro-astrology than is actually kind of holding 
the whole belief system's feet to the fire. So I think that uh, we need to think about that and just kind of take that into consideration. And I wanted to put this article in because he has so many citations, and I think it's good to have those citations where you can look further into these claims that he's making if you choose to do so. It's kind of like having footnotes in a book. And I think that's important because to me, I think it's good to have these other references so you can learn even more. And as I always say, I want you guys to do your own research about the things I talk about. Let's look a little bit further into this article. It is likely that when such pseudoscientific studies are put into the public domain, there has to be some hidden disclaimer which makes sure that the authors won't be held liable. Perhaps, which is why the following key fact has been highlighted. It is important that the patient understands that astrological indicators do not guarantee success. In another 2009 article published by Mrs. Harris in the Mountain Astrologer, a leading astrology magazine which does not claim to be peer-reviewed, Ms. Harris details on how the astrological counseling can be an antidote to depression. In this article, she cited herself three times, Ptolemy once and William Lilly twice using two separate entries. The actual peer-reviewed articles which have been cited have nothing to do with astrology. She also cites some text which would normally be mentioned as a footnote in academic papers. Overall, this article reeks of bad science which should not be taken as medical advice. Sophistication does not make the argument scientific, but it does confuse the average reader. And we get to the point where he says, why do people continue to take it so seriously? Here's an exercise. Read your daily horoscope and try to relate whatever happens to you during the day to the horoscope and see how much of it can you actually relate. If you're able to relate at least some of your day's events to your horoscope, you won't be the only one. And the reason for that is these horoscopes and predictions are fairly general and can apply to anyone on any given day, but at the same time sound specific enough to get people interested and make them believe in these predictions. This is known as the Barnum Effect, and it can be used to explain why people believe in horoscopes and other personality interpretations. So since we do know that it makes us believe in such a useless pseudoscience, why don't we just snap out of it? Well, as it turns out, there are reasons. One would expect that with such staggering advances in science and technology over the last century, people would simply get rid of pseudoscience notions. But unfortunately, just the opposite appears to be happening, and these notions are increasingly being accepted in the mainstream. Astrology is like any other business based on pseudoscience, which is often marketed as science, and the aim is to make money. The only way to make money off an invisible product is to lie. A study conducted by the National Science Foundation, the NSF, found that more Americans consider astrology to be scientific in 2012 than they did in 2005. The more worrying part of this trend is that young people, 18 to 24, are more likely to consider astrology as science. Social celebrities exert a great deal of influence in the popular culture and are generally well compensated for it. Therefore, while it is not required, celebrities must be extra cautious when endorsing and promoting viewpoints, especially on issues related to science or health, 
which lie outside of their field of expertise. When ill-researched, more often than not, such endorsements expose their lack of critical thinking, but a lot of them are doing it anyway. Many celebrities believe in astrology, and some, like Katy Perry, openly endorse it. Celebrity astrologers are no less fake than the regular astrologers. They simply market themselves in elite social circles. And then in parentheses, he says, if you call them out on their bluff, they tend to sue you. When celebrities endorse something, it is often more accepted and critical thinking goes right out the window. Media is often criticized for promoting bad science as well. The critique is not unfounded, and with the advent of social media, this issue has become more acute. Any astrologer can simply create a Facebook page or start a blog, and then based on his or her marketing skills, can start attracting clientele. The first issue is free, he says. Governments in some countries often voluntarily allocate funds to promotion and teaching of astrology in the name of tradition, culture, and spiritual sciences. In 2001, the Indian government decided to fund the graduate and undergraduate courses on astrology and received a scathing response from a number of eminent scientists who were not happy with the decision. Also covered by Nature, and then he's got a link here. Some British politicians have proposed funding medical astrology as part of the improving health infrastructure in Britain. And overall, this helps to promote the notion that astrology is a discipline that must be taken seriously. And the article is called Debunking Astrology. The planets just aren't that into you. And that will be in the show notes, of course. And I read one article that said that originally there were 17 to 18 zodiacal signs, perhaps created by the Babylonians. And we know that Egyptian astrology did not create the classical zodiac signs that we see today. The Babylonians created them, and the Egyptians learned them from the Greeks. The ancient Mayans, the Aztecs, and Incans from South America developed complex astrological systems that were based on a zodiac of 20 different signs. These signs were inspired by a mix of both animals and natural phenomenon. The jaguar, ape, dog, and turtle appeared in these systems, as did rain and earthquakes. The Greeks were introduced to the ancient Babylonian horoscope during Alexander the Great's conquest of Asia. Though the calendar and astrological system began to be translated from Babylonian cuneiform to Greek around this time, astrology did not take root in ancient Greece until well after Alexander the Great's death. All right, we're going to go quickly to Albert M. McElhenney's book, This is the Sun, Zeitgeist, and Religion, Volume 1. And he did a whole series of books based on the Zeitgeist films, you may remember this from the episodes I did on Jordan Maxwell. And I think he has some interesting stuff in here that we've touched on before, but it's been quite a while. In chapter 9.1, he says, The development of the zodiacal astrology. In the 19th century, and even in the 20th century, many scholars still believe the zodiac had been in use for a millennia. The writers of the Hellenistic period thought so, and scholars of the early modern era agreed. There existed no real evidence for such an early date, but scholars had not yet worked through the implications of recent archaeological finds. Once they did, the belief in a very ancient zodiac 
fell by the wayside. The results of scholarship in the last century is very important to our study, and so this point must be made very clearly and forcefully. The system of zodiacal astrology was not in use in the ancient cultures mentioned in the film prior to the first millennia BC when it develops over a period of centuries in Babylon. Thus, to claim the sun's movements through the zodiac were the basis of ancient religion is an anachronistic as the worship of pagan deities mentioned in Zeitgeist preceded the zodiac by centuries, if not millennia. In terms of the details, the gradual development of the zodiac in this period is well established. Its roots are in Mesopotamia, with ancient scribes keeping watch over the heavens. While the Sumerians named planets in some constellations, their interest was calendrical and was related to yearly activities such as agriculture rather than astrological. There are some astrological texts that appear in both Sumerian and Akkadian, but these are late translations and expose the supposed ancient past of astrology as merely a pretense. Astrology does develop in Babylon with a system based upon omens, e.g. comets, conjunctions, and other unusual occurrences, rather than positions in a relational grid system such as the zodiac. The Great Babylonian compilation of this period is the collection of 70 cuneiform tablets known as the Enuma Anu Enlil. These texts were inscribed around 700 B.C., but reference earlier omen literature that may trace back to the beginning of the 2nd millennium B.C., while some constellations of what later became the Zodiac were named in this early period, there is no interest in the Zodiac as an identifiable group. The early foundations of the Zodiacal system were set down in the Mula Apin, again inscribed in 700 B.C., but which likely reached its final form around 1000 B.C. It lists the constellations along three broad bands in the sky, roughly parallel to the equator, and described as three paths of the gods. One of these paths is along the ecliptic, but groups the stars differently with 17 constellations rather than 12. Some of these 17 constellations are equivalent to those of the zodiac. An impetus for a more intricate astrological system occurred when the Babylonians began keeping diaries of the night sky in the 7th century BC. The first reference to the zodiac in a diary occurs in 464 BC, and the period that followed saw the casting of horoscopes. Hence, with this outline, the idea of the zodiac tracing back to 10,000 BC or earlier is pure fantasy. The astrological system of the Babylonians was adopted by the Greeks, and the conquest of Alexander the Great accelerated its spread to other cultures. The system was transformed by Greek cosmological ideas, and solicit rule in the Hellenistic period saw Babylonian astronomy and astrology enter its most creative period. As for Egypt, it was once believed to be the birthplace of the zodiac and astrology via Hermes, but historical research has rendered this view untenable. The Egyptians were certainly interested in the heavens, but their mathematics, considerably less sophisticated than its Babylonian counterpart, did not provide the theoretical tools to match the Babylonian skill at predicting events in the night sky. 
The Egyptians devised a calendrical system based upon the heliacal rising of the stars every ten days, or decans, but even this did not occur until the first intermediate period in the Middle Kingdom. There was nothing equivalent to Babylonian astrology and no sign of belief in the influence of planetary alignments and their role in religious belief. While Deccans and the Egyptian calendar were later merged into Greco-Babylonian astrology, this did not occur until the Ptolemaic dynasty in the Hellenistic period. So the Egyptians never independently devised their own astrology. This area provides a clear example of why citing 19th century sources can never be used to represent anything other than what 19th century scholars believed on an issue. Many discoveries have been made since then that have rendered even the greatest scholars of that period terribly outdated by contemporary standards. Now quickly I want to talk about the ages. You hear the age of Pisces, the age of Aquarius. Well, here also in this book, This is the Sun by Albert McElhenney, he says another key factor involving the zodiac is the assertion of supposed astrological ages. Due to a wobble in the Earth's axis, the tropical year, based on the sun's perceived travel from equinox to equinox, is about 20 minutes shorter than the sidereal year, the sun's perceived travel through the ecliptic. This causes the sun over time to rise in different constellations along the ecliptic at the same point in the solar year. The overall effect is the sun's rising position on equinoxes and solstices will, over the centuries, move backwards through the zodiac. With an emphasis placed upon the spring equinox, the phenomenon is called the precession of the equinoxes. Then he references the Zeitgeist movie, which he says associates each of the periods where the sun rises at the spring equinox with the corresponding sign of the zodiac. For example, the period from 4300 to 2150 BC was the age of Taurus. The period from 2150 BC to 1 AD was the age of Aries. The current period from 1 AD that will end in 2150 AD is the age of Pisces. And at 2150 AD, it will begin the age of Aquarius. The whole cycle through the 12 signs was allegedly known by ancient societies as the Great Year. While procession itself is a fact, any supposed knowledge of it many millennia ago has no historical basis. The procession of the equinoxes was discovered in the last few centuries BC with Hipparchus as the most likely candidate for its discovery. In fact, the whole idea of procession through the houses of the zodiac is nonsensical much before this period since the zodiac only came into use sometime around 500 BC. While it is possible to understand the procession without the zodiac, using decans or some other relational grid, there is no firm evidence this occurred. Moreover, the theory presented in Zeitgeist specifically uses the ages linked to the zodiacal signs. Hence, the theory presented in the film is inconsistent with the historical record. Even the division of the sky used in Zeitgeist is anachronistic. The ages in the film are based upon a modern invention. Under the system used at the time, Jesus arrived many centuries too early for any supposed age of Pisces. Now, this is a quote by Neil Swerdlow, who is a professor of astronomy and astrophysics. And he said, 
In antiquity, constellations were just a group of stars, and there were no borders separating the region of one from the region of another. In astrology, for computational purposes, the zodiacal signs were taken as 12 arcs of 30 degrees measured from the vernal equinox. Because of the slow westward motion of the equinoxes and solstices, what we call the precession of the equinoxes, these did not correspond to the constellations with the same names, but within which group of stars the vernal equinox was located was of no astrological significance at all. The modern idea about the age of Pisces or the age of Aquarius are based upon the location of the vernal equinox in the regions of the stars of those constellations. But the regions, the borders between those constellations, are a completely modern convention of the International Astronomical Union for the purpose of mapping and never had any astrological significance in ancient times. So we're just about to finish up this episode, and I wanted to add a couple more things before I get out of here. I know this has been one of those that's been just full of information, but I think this will be worth it in the end for those who are willing to at least think about what's been said here. From gizmodo.com, Sorry, astrologers. This is what it really means when a planet is in retrograde. You usually hear about a planet being in retrograde from astrologers, which might give you the impression that the term is mystical. In fact, it does have an astronomical meaning. That meaning just happens to come from a rather outdated concept, when the Earth was still the center of the solar system. Today, it explains why planets seem to go backwards in the sky and why one planet can have two sunrises a day. Astrology during antiquity and prehistory was in some ways much like astronomy today. People looked up at the sky and recorded what they saw. For the most part, they saw stars that zoomed past them in the same configuration every night. Then they noticed a few exceptions, which moved independently across the night sky on a specific course. These special stars eventually came to be understood as planets, specifically Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, but originally they were just seen as moving stars. Astronomers tracked their paths across the sky until they assumed a regularity that was almost as certain as the fixed stars. Then one night, some astronomer looked at the sky, noticed that one of these moving stars had started moving backwards, and thought, this can't be good. That set the precedent for the astrological concept of retrograde astronomical motion as an omen of bad times for people on Earth. Although this odd motion was eventually fit into just another pattern, no one knew exactly why it happened. As long as the Earth stayed unmoving at the center of the solar system, no possible explanation made sense. When people finally understood that the Earth and the traveling stars were actually all planets, Moving around a central sun, things became a bit more clear. The planets are essentially lined up on a racetrack with widely spaced lanes. In the case of Mercury, the lane it's on is shaped a bit differently from Earth's course around the sun. Mercury has the kind of extreme elliptical orbit that makes its forward progress around the sun seem to slow considerably as it enters the pointed end of the ellipse. The planet's speed doesn't actually alter, but if you're driving in a straight line and a car to the side of you 
begins to turn, it seems to slow down even if it's keeping the same pace. I think we've all noticed that. As the Earth keeps going on its rounder orbit and Mercury turns into its ellipse, it seems to move backwards in the sky. The other planets don't have the same extreme orbit as Mercury, but they occasionally seem to go backwards as the Earth zooms by them, too. It's similar to the way cars on a motorway appear to be moving backwards briefly from the point of view of the faster car that overtakes them. The Earth isn't the only planet to see other planets in retrograde, and planets aren't the only things that can suddenly seem to reverse their motion. If you want to see a real showstopper, go to Mercury. The planet's elliptical orbit means its progress past the sun speeds and slows. Taking a sharp curve can make one leg of the journey round the sun take forever, while during the shallow stretches of the elliptical orbit, it can zoom past a section of sun. Meanwhile, its rotation is very slow. This doesn't make a difference when its orbit around the sun is slow, too, but when it reaches the relatively straight section of its orbit, it can have spectacular results. Mercury rotates enough to get the sun over the horizon and up into the sky, just like it does on Earth. Then the planet's fast orbit moves it far enough along its path around the sun that the sun seems to dip back down below the horizon until the rotation can make the sun rise again. Mercury can put the sun in retrograde. And that's just got to be bad luck. So there you go. That's actually what happens when Mercury is in retrograde. No bad omens, nothing evil is about to happen. That's all made up in people's minds, and it's popular. But remember, and I'll just go back to the start of the show, when they first started putting the horoscopes in the newspaper. If it's in every newspaper and gossip column, is that something really to be trusted in? Well, I'll let you be the judge because I don't want to tell you what to do with your life. There's a book I wanted to mention that's called The Complete Refutation of Astrology. And it's an old book written by a British fellow. And at the time, he was writing, kind of debating other astrologers. And they put a lot of this in the newspapers of the day. And so they would go back and forth. But he's got a lot of historical information there. And he also mentioned several other authors that were kind of doing the same thing as him at that time. So I think it's worth a look-see. And I'll put the link for that book in my show notes. If you guys have found this interesting, I do suggest you check out the show notes. There's a lot of stuff in there. Bad astronomy.com is another good site you want to check out their astrology section but there's a lot of good information in those notes and I hope this has been a treat for you it's been a treat for me I was a little nervous about it because I know a lot of people are into astrology and their horoscopes and different things like that I know that nearly every secret society and occult belief system is based around astrology And I just wanted to do something that was a little bit different because I think I said at the outset of the show, there's hardly anyone really talking against it. It's just dozens and dozens and dozens of links and people that are talking about how we should follow astrology or how they follow astrology or how astrology means this or means that. And you need to base your medical decisions on astrology, your job prospects, your soulmate, 
I saw one the other day that was talking about basing your decisions on your autistic child on astrology. So it's, it's never ending. And I think that perhaps if we have an open mind, we can look at it in a kind of different light after listening to this information and kind of just thinking about it. You know, make up your own mind, as I always say. So thank you so much for your patience and hanging with me through this show. I want to thank my awesome patrons so much. Thank you guys for the support. And if you want to support me and give back, it is patreon.com forward slash the odd man out. You can also find me on underscore the odd man out on both Twitter and Instagram and support alternatecurrentradio.com. That's my podcasting family and you can find the Oddcast and many other great talk and music shows on there. They have an awesome website, so check that out. Check out fringeradionetwork.com. Thank you to them for posting my show. Thank you to John Brisson from We've Read the Documents for posting some of the Oddcast on his YouTube page. And thank you for all your support, guys. Thank you for sharing the show. Thank you for telling other people about the show. Thank you for rating the show. I hope to talk to you soon. I've got some great, great subjects that I'm going to be doing shows on in the coming weeks. It's going to be controversial, but I'm going to handle it as politely as I can, as respectfully as I can, while also critiquing these subjects. So I will appreciate your patience. So with that being said, cheers and blessings. And remember, guys, their order is not our order. See ya. Namaste, Internet. I'm a social media influencer and yoga instructor in that order. And today I'm going to show you just how easy it is to live your best, happiest, most positive life and be a spiritual gangster just like me. Obviously, I do a lot of positive affirmations. You are happy. You are abundance. You will get that sponsorship deal with Lululemon. I used to think I'd never get over the staggering pain and anxiety of my parents' tumultuous divorce when I was a child and the gaping hole of unworthiness it left in my heart. But then I met my master Reiki guru and in one 45 minute session, he balanced all my wounded chakras. I just feel so at peace, you know? Wait, this post of me doing a handstand next to a waterfall on a tropical island only got 500 likes? Who are these low vibrational peasants who follow me? Probably just hate themselves. Three dead grandparents in three years in the middle of my parents' divorce while my childhood pet died too? I put all that negativity behind me with just a few deep healing meditation sessions with my power crystals. You're worthy of love. You're an inspiration. You're a divine free love. Why aren't these working? Anyone who says they're anxious or depressed just isn't trying hard enough to control their thoughts and emotions. Just gotta be happy and let go. Think positive. Be happy, let go. Because after all, what you think you become, but if you only have positive thoughts, you can manifest anything you want. As long as you keep your energy centers balanced and your mind free of bad thoughts and vibes. Maybe if I just secure this power crystal to my third eye for 108 minutes, you can live your best life. Then I'll be able to control these imposter thoughts just like me.